as Pastor Rick mentioned this morning, just to encourage you because it's kind of like having two congregations in one family, so sometimes you don't get to see what goes on in the first service, but just to encourage you as we have embarked on this journey to be a disciple-making church. This morning we had the privilege of baptizing a young couple named Chris and Kaylee. And uh, God's story in their life is they showed up into the lobby the Thursday before Christmas, about 4.30 in the afternoon, I was just getting ready to go home, and this young couple comes in and says, we need to talk to a priest about getting baptized. And so right away I thought, well, they might be in the wrong church. And, uh, but then when I spoke to them, they said, no, we've been coming here the last few weeks. And I thought, wow, okay. So uh, I said, tell you what, we'll meet in between the services. Which service did you come to? They said the early service. I said, this coming Sunday, we'll meet between the services and we'll talk about your desire to be baptized. And so we went to my office and, and we started to talk. And uh, by God's grace, they came to realize that what they were seeking after or what they thought they were seeking after was a religious experience, a ritual. But as we shared the gospel together, they realized that it's only meaningful if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So they came looking for baptism. They found Jesus. And then today, by God's grace, they obeyed his command to be baptized. And it made a lot of sense to them. And so I just share that with you to encourage you that God is saving people. And he's entrusting them to our congregation. And that's why this is so crucial, this study. Because our responsibility now is to teach Chris and Kaylee how to obey the commands of Christ. He saved them, we've obeyed and baptized them, and now it's our responsibility to embrace them, walk with them, and teach them to obey the commands of Christ. So I encourage you, as Pastor Rick has done, if you are not in a D.C., join one. But even if you're not, get a study guide and follow it, because you have no clue who God might entrust to you this year to teach them how to obey the commands of Christ. Well, praise the Lord, tomorrow we are off. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to tomorrow, a day just to take some time away from the normal routine of life and spend some time with my family. Speaking of family, with our eldest child preparing to go down to college in the States this coming September, I have caught myself recently reflecting on this question. As parents, have Jen and I done everything that we could with the help of God and with the time that he's given us with our oldest son, to teach and model for him what really matters in life. What really matters in life? Because the dynamics of the relationship we enjoy right now with our eldest son is going to change as he heads south of the border. But here's what's important to remember. Even though the dynamics of our relationship are going to change, what really matters is not going to change. You see, all of us, if you haven't already, you will go through seasons of change that are not necessarily something you'll look forward to and that will require getting some time to adjust and to get used to. And this is what we find in the Gospel of John, chapter 13 and 14. We find Jesus' disciples in this exact situation. They are about to enter a season of transition in terms of the dynamics of their relationship with Christ. Things the way they had known them were going to change. And one day, while Jesus was spending time alone with them in the upper room, he let them in on certain events that were going to take place in his life, culminating with his crucifixion and his eventual departure from them. We see in John chapter 13, In verse 33, Jesus announcing his departure to them. 
And he says in verse 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, and I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Then down in verse 36 of chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. For the disciples hearing their leader, the, the person who they had left everything to follow, the one whom they had seen and experienced so many things together, hear him telling them that where I'm going, you cannot come. Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but will follow later. These were very unsettling words for his disciples to hear. And when we look at Jesus' words to them, we can tell that fear had begun to creep into their hearts and in their minds about what is the future going to look like after he leaves. Jesus says in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. And then down in verse 31 of chapter 14, he says, get up, let us go from here. So they got up and they went from there. And while on their way, the things Jesus had told them were running through their minds. And they were working through the emotions of what they were feeling based on what Jesus had just told them. And in that moment of transition... Jesus made it a priority to tell them, this is what really matters. This is what really matters. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 15, where together we will discover what really matters to Jesus. What is it that we need to remember and give our time to? And as I was studying this week, I was studying using the New American Standard Bible, and I just really appreciated how it is worded. So I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible today, and you might not have that translation. I understand. You can follow through in the version you had, or the words from the New American Standard Bible will be on the screen, and you can follow there as we read the text together. So let's find out what really matters to Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11. I am the vine... And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. We learned in week one of our series, the main purpose of a disciple is to glorify God. To glorify God. And here in verse 8 of the text we read, Jesus tells his disciples that my Father is glorified by this. So this should matter to us because it is what glorifies God. And it is that we bear much fruit proving to be his disciples. The bottom line is genuine disciples bear fruit. Genuine disciples show fruit. This is a discipleship essential. And to help his disciples get this essential, that day Jesus uses this illustration that was very familiar to them of a vine and its branches. And he used it as a metaphor to highlight their relationship to him. Jesus knew that understanding the significance of their connection to him would be critical in helping them figure out how are we going to carry on? And how are we going to bear fruit after his departure? As I mentioned earlier, even though sometimes things change in the dynamics of our relationships, what never changes is what matters to Jesus. And what matters to Jesus is that his disciples bear fruit. We see this discipleship essential of bearing fruit highlighted elsewhere in Scripture. If you recall in First in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul in his prayer for the church there refers to this discipleship essential. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And how are we going to please him in all respects? Bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, and 23, a very familiar passage to all of us. Paul, in his letter to the churches in Asia Minor, reminds them that those who live, those who walk in accordance to the Spirit, therefore he's talking to disciples, because we know that non-disciples walk according to their flesh. So he says that those who live and walk according to the Spirit should exhibit daily in their lives spiritual fruit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being a part of Daryl Mackey's father's funeral. And what amazed me is the campus across the street, 301, was filled. And I asked one of his sons what kind of would be the spiritual reality of most of the people that were attending. And he said, oh, absolutely, most of them are lost. They're unbelievers. And I thought, wow. This auditorium is filled with unbelievers. Why? Because they witnessed a man who, by God's grace, exhibited in his life the fruit of the Spirit and were attracted. Remember what God calls us? He says we are ambassadors for him and he is making our appeal to the lost to be reconciled to God through us. Incredible. Bearing fruit is so crucial. So because of who they were, Jesus says, genuine disciples of mine, which he affirms in verse 3. 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They had proven themselves, the 11, to be obedient learner followers. They were becoming humble servants and self-deniers in contrast to Judas. His expectation of him in his absence is that they would continue to bear not just fruit but much fruit. And in doing so, prove or show yourself ongoing over time to be my disciples. If any of you attended Pastor Wally's funeral recently, you will agree with me that there's no way anyone who sat in this auditorium through that service left wondering, I wonder what kind of disciple Pastor Wally was. Why? Because everybody in attendance heard multiple testimonies of the spiritual fruit that Pastor Wally exhibited in his life over time, showing himself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what makes a certain kind of disciple fruitful? What makes a Pastor Wally able to show themselves to be Christ's disciples over the long haul? While I believe in our text today, Jesus gives us three clues in his dialogue with the disciples that day that can help us today on our journey to becoming a certain kind of people, disciples who are fully committed to Jesus Christ. And so we will look at those three clues this morning. The first clue is where we will spend a majority of our time because that takes the largest portion in the text that we read, and then we'll touch on the final two. So... How do we bear fruit? How do genuine disciples bear fruit? For that is what matters to Jesus, and that is what glorifies God. Number one, genuine disciples value their relationship with Christ. Isn't that deep? Sounds so elementary. When I was preparing this, I was like, really, Lord? That just seems so obvious. But genuine disciples who bear fruit value their relationship with Christ. So let's unpack that a little bit. In verse 4, he told his disciples to remain in me as I also remain in you. You see, brothers and sisters, what we value, we will prioritize and make time for. What we value, we will prioritize and make time for. And five times in these 11 verses that we read regarding being fruitful, he repeats this phrase, remain in me. Remain in me Remain in me. Because as he points out in verse 1, I am the true vine. Different scholars have suggested that it is possible that Jesus, on the way from the upper room with his disciples, had this conversation with them while standing on the temple grounds, looking up at the holy place where at the entrance of the temple, above the linen curtain, was a large grapevine made of pure gold that symbolized Israel. And certain books say that the clusters of grape were as big as men. I mean, that is a massive, incredible creative artwork. So there was this grapevine of pure gold that symbolized Israel. You see, frequently in the Old Testament, God referred to Israel as a vine. But usually in a negative way. Why? Because they failed to produce fruit as a result of their unfaithfulness. We read in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, God speaking, he says, I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best. 
How did you grow into this wild vine? Knowing that his disciples understood what that gold grapevine symbolized, Jesus is now teaching them and identifying himself as the true grapevine. He was going to replace Israel as God's true vineyard. The land was no longer fit to be the source of the covenant people of God. Jesus had become the way. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The sacred space in which God's people must now dwell is not in a land. It is in a person, and his name is Jesus. He was now the source of nourishment, the source of strength and empowerment for God's people to be able to live fruitful lives. Why? Because he is the only true vine. And only the true vine can genuinely and ultimately produce good fruit. So that is why as disciples, as branches, we must never neglect to understand the significance and appreciate the significance of our connectedness to Jesus related to being able to be people who bear fruit. Bear fruit over the long haul, showing ourselves to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And to drive this point home of the significance of their connectedness to Jesus and the significance of remaining in him, Jesus tells them in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. So that made me ask the question, well then what is the evidence then that a disciple not only understands and appreciates the significance of their relationship to Jesus, but actually values it. Because at the beginning I said, fruit-bearing disciples value their relationship with Jesus. So what is the evidence of that in your life and in my life? As I mentioned earlier, you and I both know that what we value, we will make time for. I wonder if we all did an audit of the week, by God's grace, we have just lived through. Listed down what we did every day and how much time we spent every day doing that. If we did that, we would discover very quickly what we really value. Because what we value, we will prioritize and we will make time for. See, the level to which we understand how significant our relationship is to Christ in terms of bearing spiritual fruit will be reflected in the time we make to intentionally remain in Him. The growing disciple in whom the Father and the Son live through the Holy Spirit is one whose life is utterly dependent on Christ. Discipleship is not just a matter of acknowledging who Jesus is. It is having Jesus connected in our inner life. This picture of mutual indwelling that Jesus refers to in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. And in chapter 14, verse 20, he says, I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. What does that look like? What does that type of close relationship look like? Where Christ is in me, and I am in him. As I thought about this this week as I was preparing, the one illustration that came to my mind is the relationship between a visually impaired person and their guide dog. All of us, I'm sure, have seen that before. 
There's two things, a couple of things we can learn from both the visually impaired person and the guide dog that will help us to understand what does it look like to remain in him. You see, the visually impaired person cannot see their guide dog, but is totally aware of the presence of their guide dog when they are connected to their guide dog. I cannot see Jesus, but because of the presence of his spirit in me, I am connected to him. The visually impaired person does not just go walking off carelessly. No, they wait and they are connected to their guide dog and then they move. What about the guide dog? Have you ever watched these animals? They are incredible. But they were not born guide dogs. They were trained to become guide dogs. Just like you and I, we now learn how to obey the commands of Christ. We must learn how to remain connected to Christ. Most of the time, we're like puppies. If you've had dogs before, puppies do their own thing. They go ahead. They run around where they want. They're distracted very quickly. They have a hard time paying attention. But if you notice a guide dog that has been trained, that guide dog walks right beside the person they are helping. They know where they're going. But if you've ever watched them, they're incredible. They will constantly keep in contact with the person that they are walking with. Never going too fast, never going too slow, just walking in step. There's this incredible relationship between a visually impaired person and their guide dog. This mutual relationship. This is the picture that Jesus is talking about. I in you and you in me. You see, because it's by God's grace alone, through faith alone, that we are even in this relationship with Jesus. We are connected to the vine not because of anything we have done. And we are kept connected to the vine by his grace. But here's what we cannot neglect to not hear this morning. Our fruitfulness as a disciple seems to be directly related to the value we place on intentionally remaining in him and maintaining that vital connection, that vital relationship. Look at verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Then in stark contrast, Jesus warns in verse 6, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. Because they are fruitless. Indicating that their connection with Jesus was never genuine, but superficial. For example, Judas. Never connected to Jesus. Superficial. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, referring to false teachers, describes these branches that are fruitless, indicating they were never genuinely connected to the vine. He says this, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. Remember Pastor Rick's illustrations a couple weeks ago. What we are talking about here this morning is the exact same thing as decoys versus disciples. Disciples remain 
They keep that vital connection with Jesus. Remain in me. Jesus modeled this discipleship essential in his own relationship with the Father. Often in the Gospels, if you read them, we will find Jesus going off on his own to a solitary place to be with his Father. The Lord knows, and I'm evaluating my own life in this if we're honest, how much time did we spend alone, solitary, with Jesus this week? And Jesus did this for reasons that are very similar to the situations you and I face today. He went away and was with his father when he was preparing for a major task. To recharge after hard work. To work through grief before making an important decision in times of distress or simply to focus on prayer. You see, Jesus understood the significance of his relationship to the father in terms of how he is going to be able to live out his mission and glorify the Father by obeying his will. So don't you think, brothers and sisters, if Jesus intentionally pulled away from the busyness of life to spend time alone with God the Father, does it not make sense that his, as his disciples, we should do likewise? In order to bear fruit, we must daily prioritize meeting and making time to be alone with our Lord and Savior, acknowledging our dependency on Him, and in so doing, strengthening that vital relationship that we have with Him through prayer and meditating on His Word. And I will tell you as a disciple, this does not come naturally to me. I don't wake up every day. I am praying that God will help me to wake up every day ready and anxious and wanting to spend time with him. But if we are honest, we probably all struggle with this. And we need to get better at it if we are going to bear fruit. And some of you may feel, I've tried this and I've tried that and I just keep failing. And I just cannot seem to be disciplined in a quiet time with Jesus every day. Can I encourage you with a quote that I read last night at 10.30? I was checking an email, and 10.30, by the way, for me is up too late. I'm usually gone by now. But I was up at 10.30, and I needed to respond to this email. And I'm so glad I did, because God gave me an illustration that is so perfect for this. If you are discouraged, and you keep finding yourself failing and prioritizing to make time with Jesus, William Carey said this, I am not afraid of failure. I am more afraid of succeeding at what does not matter. I am not afraid of failure. I am more afraid of succeeding at what does not matter. And so can I encourage you, don't give up. Continue to train yourself. And ask God to give you the desire, Lord, help me today to desire and to set aside time to be alone with you. Don't not do that because I just don't want to fail again. Brothers and sisters, it's too costly. If we only become successful at what doesn't really matter, we are going to miss the mark and we are not going to produce fruit. And did you note... That making time to remain in Christ, internalizing his word and applying it to our lives, even affects our prayers. Did you note that when we were reading that? Look at verse 7 together. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Again, 
God's word is central and core to everything we do as disciples. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wow. Does that mean then that I'll be able to get whatever I want? No. What it means is because you are remaining in Christ and because you are keeping his words central to your life, you will make prayers that are scripturally informed and God will answer those and be glorified. You will pray according to his will because you know what his will is. That's why Jesus was able to pray in the garden, yet not my will but yours be done. Healthy fruit in our lives is a byproduct of well-nourished and cultivated roots. And so in order for us to become disciples that bear fruit, because that's what matters to Jesus and that's what glorifies God, we need to value our relationship with Christ by making time to intentionally be alone with him in prayer and in study of his word. Secondly, fruit-bearing disciples... Genuine disciples take his word seriously. Take his word seriously. Verse 9, Jesus tells them to not only remain in me, but did you notice? He also says, remain in my love. Remain in my love. How? By taking my word seriously. Verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Genuine disciples are not only fruitful because they value the relationship with Christ, they are fruitful because they intentionally obey God's word. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24, the Bible says the one who keeps God's command, here's this mutual indwelling, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. Growing disciples obey the Lord's commands. We submit to God's word. And because of our commitment to God's word, we become understanding and more devoted to his will. Thus, as I just said, our prayers will be fruitful and if we pray fruitful prayers that are in line with God's word, then his glory will be on display as he answers them. And just like Jesus modeled spending time alone with his father, Jesus also modeled obedience to God's word. Through his perfect obedience to the father's will, Jesus modeled this. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the one, the will of him who sent me. Just as Jesus remained in the Father's love by obeying him, we would be wise to follow this pattern of living in our obedience to Jesus. Why? So that. Look at verse 11. So that. These things I have spoken to you remain in me. Take my word seriously, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you would love to experience joy that is full? A lot of us have experienced happiness, but we, you and I know how quickly happiness goes away. But joy, joy stays in the good times and in the bad times. And how can we experience that if we take God's word seriously and we obey his will? So that these words introduce the purpose for which Jesus exhorts his disciples, remain in me. Take my word seriously so that my joy 
will be in you and that your joy will be made full. You see, Jesus' joy came from his reliance and dependency on the Father and obeying his will. Therefore, as believers, if we remain in Christ and are obedient to the commands, we will experience that same joy. Where do you find your joy? We are to find it in dependency on Jesus and living in obedience to his word. Joy experienced in our fallen world will be at best temporary and incomplete until one experiences God's love in Jesus, the love for which we were created, a mutual love that issues in obedience without reservation. We want to become a kind of disciple that bears fruit. We need to value our relationship with Christ. We need to take God's word seriously. And finally, genuine disciples understand that pruning is part of the process. And I use the word understand because even I as a disciple struggle, even with my wording that I put in my notes. It's hard to sometimes accept what the Father is permitting in our life for our good. We have to understand as disciples that pruning is part of the process. And as we begin to understand that, and as we begin to remain in him, and as we begin to spend more time in his word, and his word is at the core of our lives, then we, by God's grace, will also be able to accept that pruning is part of the process. Look at verse 1. Jesus identifies himself as the true vine, and his father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the one in charge, and his role is to ensure increased fruitfulness by removing dead branches and removing undesired parts from fruitful ones. In verse 2, it says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes more so that it will be even more proof. Fruitful. What's the bottom line? Genuine disciples bear fruit. That's the bottom line. So this is the work that God does. He works in our lives so that we will bear even more fruit. And in that process, he will remove from our lives things that hinder fruit bearing. Just like a farmer removes anything on the branches that keeps them from bearing maximum fruit. I can only remember two instances where I have been a part of pruning myself, actually doing pruning. I'm not a great gardener. I love the look of a great garden, but I'm not a great gardener. But I have been involved in two situations where I was involved with pruning, and I learned an important lesson through both of those situations. God is not random in how he prunes. He is not wild and crazy and just cutting and getting rid of stuff. No, he is very intentional and he is very specific in his pruning. The first situation I was involved in is in the house that my family lived now when we moved to Oshawa. And in the backyard, the couple that lived there before us had this beautiful, big, full, thorny rosebush. I mean, it was big. And I knew, well, this is a problem because i got four kids who like to spend time out in the back and they're going to be wanting playing sports and that rosebush is going to be a problem. Can't get rid of the kids, got to get rid of the rosebush, right? So we started a plan to get rid of the rosebush, and I just started hacking and stuff because my dad said, oh, well, don't just throw it out. I could use it. 
I don't know, you could use it. So my parents live in a row of townhouses. They're the last unit. Then there's this wooden fence, and then the next unit. And I can remember when we used to come home to Canada. My parents had had this house for a while, and I remember coming home from Africa, and we'd be staying there, and it would drive my dad nuts when little kids would hop over the wooden fence, land on his uh, air-conditioned unit to get a shortcut to get to Father Vanini's school. It would drive him crazy. And so he said, I need that rosebush. So we chopped and we hacked and we got it to a size that Jason and myself could move in our van to take over to my parents' house five minutes down the road. My dad was all prepared and had the whole dug and we popped the rosebush in there. Next year, pretty much looked almost the same as when we plopped it in there. Because my dad wanted it to be an effective way to keep young punks from jumping over his fence under his air conditioning unit and cutting short, shortcut to school. But then my dad just did some pruning. Not wild hacking pruning like we had done to get it in the vehicle, a size that was, we could actually transport. But he just patiently did some specific pruning, not random pruning. And I can tell you that bush that looked like a Charlie Brown rose bush when we moved it comes up every spring with more buds, flourishing, and best of all, no more punks climbing the fence <laughs> on the air-conditioned unit. It worked. But pruning is very specific. It's not just hacking. It's not just random. The only other experience I had was in university. A friend of mine from Ontario said, hey, my buddy's just bought a bunch of land in Abbotsford, BC, and he's decided he's going to make a lot of money planting uh, apple orchards, and this is what he's going to get into. So this guy came out, bought this land, and he needed some help in pruning and tying the branches of the apple, young apple trees in these rows. And he said, will you come and help me? I said, sure. I'll go and help you because every college student needs some extra cash, right? And uh, so we went out one Saturday, and we pruned. But we didn't just prune recklessly. He taught us what we needed to do and showed us what needed to be pruned and how the branches needed to be tied. It wasn't just random. And so we worked at that all day. And as I told the early church, what I remember about that story, too, is don't prune when you're hungry. Because that day our university had declared that day, skip a meal and whatever food would be donated to a food shelter in Vancouver. And so we decided, my buddy and I, we're going to skip breakfast and lunch. We were a little bit more immature disciples then. Three meals a day, that's asking a lot, right? So we skipped breakfast and lunch. Well, the problem is we started chatting while we were pruning because we were hungry. And we started talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and so as we pruned... We kept talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken. As soon as we got in his little Honda Prelude, mud still on our boots. We didn't even clean ourselves up. We went through the drive-thru in Abbotsford at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and we bought a bucket of chicken. And between Abbotsford and Langley, B.C., about 45 minutes, Mark and I cleaned a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken all the way back. So don't prune when you're hungry, but more importantly, pruning is not a random thing. It's a specific thing. And it's done so that it will bear more fruit. Listen to what the Bible says. There are, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, because there's various ways God will prune us. He may permit us to go through trials, hardships. He may even discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, it says he disciplines us for our good. It's not random discipline. It's for our good. So that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm sure all of us here today can think of people 
who have been through a season of pruning that God has permitted, they've endured that season and come out the other end even more on fire for the Lord, bearing even more fruit. How were they able to do that? They understood two important things about the vine dresser. Number one, they realized we are not our own. We're not our own. We are a branch connected to the vine who God is in charge of. We are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, do you not know you're not your own? You have been bought with a price. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 23, it says you belong to Christ and God and Christ belongs to God. People are able to endure seasons of pruning when we understand that I am not my own, but belong to God, both body and soul. The second thing people who have done well in the season of pruning is they have remembered that God, the vine dresser, is a good, good father. He is a good, good father. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Who are the people who love God? Those who remain in him. To those who are called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to bear fruit, we need to value our relationship with Christ. We need to take his word seriously. And thirdly, we need to understand and by God's grace accept that pruning is part of the process. But we belong to him and he is a good, good father who is not random. And what he does is for our good. And what is the good that he is glorified by? That we bear more fruit. The big idea of bearing much fruit sums up all the essential qualities of discipleship presented in the book of John. Increased faith, increased prayer, increased obedience, increased love, and increased commitment to the mission to make disciples. All of which matter to Jesus and bring glory to God. Fruit bearing is the best test of life-giving attachment to the vine. Christians, we were chosen for this and appointed for this. It is God's design and economy that each believer should live in union with his son and be fruitful, expressing the effect of that union in our daily lives. May God help us to do what matters to Jesus and glorifies the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. I am just overwhelmed by your grace that you would, in your sovereignty, allow me to be connected to the true vine. That is incredible. What an incredible position we have been placed in by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you help us now to do what we have studied this morning, what Jesus wanted his disciples to get that day, that they would bear much fruit and in so doing, prove to be disciples of Jesus. God, I pray that it won't just be the Pastor Wallies, it won't just be the Wayne Mackeys, it won't just be the leaders in the church. God, I pray that as your branches who are genuinely connected to you, remaining in you, I pray that our community 
would have no doubt who we belong to because of the fruit that you produce in us. As we value our relationship with you and as we remain in you and as we understand and by your grace accept that pruning as part of the process. Forgive us, Lord, for not prioritizing and making time for what really matters to you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to close by reading a paragraph that I read this week that I think is really important because it's something I think we sometimes forget. Discipleship is a way of thinking. It's our doctrine. It is a way of living, our ethics. But let us never forget it is a supernatural experience that cannot be compared with anything in the world. John 15 emphasizes that neither doctrine nor ethics alone can define Christian discipleship. It reminds us that remaining in Christ and having an inner interior experience with Jesus is a non-negotiable feature of following Jesus. Without a transforming spirituality that creates supernatural life bearing fruit, our doctrine and our ethics lose their value. It is a bona fide spiritual experience that authenticates religious truth in our world. And that is precisely what Jesus is describing. And so I pray that by God's grace this week, we will become a people. By His grace and through His strength and through His advice, we will become a people that will become successful in the Father's eyes with what really matters. May God help us in Jesus' name. Amen.